Well, what a blessing. The Lord has indeed been good to us. He's been good to us before we got here. But He's been good to us in these days. And I'm grateful. Thank you, brother, for the message this morning. Thank you, folks, for the good singing as always. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you to Charity Baptist Church. Appreciate the messages last night, Brother Eddie and Brother Richard. These have been fruitful days, and we bless the Lord for them. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 10. Do bless the Lord for all His favors. Hebrews chapter 10. I am reading this morning verse 19 through verse 25. And I would like to use verse 25 as my key text for the message. Hebrews chapter 10 beginning in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, But exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. I am preaching a series of messages in these days in the church I pastor. On the one another text in the New Testament. The Bible teaches us that when we are born again, God divinely places us in the body of Christ. Paul says twice in his writings, once in Romans 12 and verse 5, and in another occasion in Ephesians 4 and verse 25, that being saved, we are members one of another. So that is, when we're born again, we are divinely placed not merely into an organization, but we are made members of an organism. We are made members one of another. We are vitally connected to Christ through saving faith. And being vitally connected to Christ, we are vitally connected one to another. Ah, Lord. And so we are one together in the body. But that relationship carries with it many responsibilities. No doubt it has its privileges. But there's much 
required of us as members together. The one and other texts in the New Testament illustrate some of these requirements. There are exhortations connected to them. Let me give you just a few of them by way of example. In John 13, Jesus instructed His disciples, having washed their feet, that they were to wash one another's feet. Paul would say in his writings that we are to, in honor, prefer one another. In the Galatian letter, we are told that we are to, in love, serve one another. In other occasions, we are instructed to admonish one another. Oh, what a needed ministry admonishment is. We are called upon to exhort one another. All of these different emphases are laid upon us. As I've studied these texts and preached from them over the past number of weeks, I'm learning a little bit more of what God expects of me as a church member. Ah, there's so much we're lacking in, isn't there? This morning I'd like to emphasize one of these one another texts. I believe it's in my heart to do so. When we come to Hebrews chapter 10, the writer has in mind the great redemption accomplished through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then beginning in verse 19, he begins to give us some of the privileges that we enjoy because of Christ's redemption. But before he leaves this thought, he lays upon us certain exhortations. Or again, I use the word responsibilities that exist because of it. We're told in verse 24 that we are to consider one another. Oh, Lord. That is, we're to be mindful, thoughtful of one another. We're not to live a self-focused, self-centered life. But we are to be thoughtful of our brothers and sisters provoking them, he says. Inciting them, that's the idea. Stirring them up to love and to good works. But in verse 25, our key text, we have the idea here, the exhortation. Verse 24 is considering one another. Verse 25 we're exhorted to assemble with and exhort one another. He says, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But being assembled together, we are to be about this business of exhorting one another. And so much the more, the writer says, as we see the day approaching. Now, I know we're all familiar with what happened several years ago in the early months about this time of year in 2020. The COVID virus hit the shores of this country. And because of that, in an effort to, as they called it, flatten the curve, many of our churches forwent meeting for several weeks. We stayed home. We stayed locked up. And we did not get together in a physical way. It is sad to say there are some still locked up. I spoke with a fellow, and you know this. Many of you are pastors, preachers. You know where I, how I feel about this issue. I spoke with a church member just this past week who said to me, Preacher, we just can't get out. That COVID, that COVID. 
Uh, now, that didn't stop them from going to Walmart on Saturday night. Or going God knows where else. But COVID kept them out. <laughs> COVID presented an interesting question to the church. Here it is. Is it really necessary that we meet? Is assembling together in a bodily way really all that important? Can't we just stay home? Can't we meet in perhaps another format? Is it really so vital? Well, I'd like to say according to the writer of Hebrews, it is very vital. It's very necessary. And as a matter of fact, it's encouraged that we should be meeting more in these days. Not less in these days. This letter to the Hebrews was written to Christians under intense persecution. We learn that in several places in the New Testament. But in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he commends them. For they had received the word in much affliction, as the churches in Judea had. They had suffered great persecution from their own countrymen. These Jewish believers were being persecuted by their flesh and blood. They were being harassed, thrown into prison, uh, even killed on occasions. And so they're suffering great persecution. Surely if anyone could forego meeting and be excused in not assembling together, it would be this persecuted lot, these Hebrew believers that the writer is speaking to. Ah, but nonetheless, the writer does not give them a ticket to stop assembling due to their persecution. He does not exempt them from the responsibility of assembling together, but rather he exhorts them to assemble together. (laughs) And certainly we're exhorted to do so as well. I'd like to say a couple things about this exhortation, and then I'll get out of the way. Let me give you three headings. In this verse, verse 25, we are exhorted here to assemble with and exhort one another in three ways. Firstly, we are to assemble with one another and exhort one another with individual faithfulness. Individual faithfulness. Not forsaking, he writes, the assembling of ourselves together. And then secondly, as we move further in the verse, we're not only told to assemble together and exhort one another with individual faithfulness, but we are to do so with inspiring furtherance. He uses the phrase exhorting one another. That's the idea of urging one another on. Pressing one another on in furtherance. And then lastly we're told to assemble together and exhort one another with individual faithfulness, inspiring furtherance and increasing frequency. So much the more, he writes, as you see the day approaching. Let's begin with those opening phrases. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let me remind us. We're exhorted here to assemble and exhort with individual faithfulness. This word forsaking has my attention a little bit this morning. The the writer says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The word forsaking here, it has the idea of leaving someone behind. The idea could be applied in the area of combat. If a brother was wounded uh, and you left him there in his own blood, 
and his own wounds and turned your back on him. Such would be the idea carried by this word forsaken. It is to turn the back. It is to turn the mind away. To remove yourself in bodily presence. Ah, here the writer tells us we are not to turn our back on the church. We're not to turn our minds away from one another. Oh, Lord, we're not to leave our comrades in the fight or leave our brothers in the battle. No, we are to be faithful individually. Certainly this has a congregational emphasis to it. You know, I thought about this this week as I drove up here, meditated on this text. I believe what we're doing in here this morning is biblical. I think the church ought to be meeting. Uh, somebody said, well, uh, preacher, I don't think we really have much need for these Bible conferences anymore. I uh, don't think we have much need for these revival meetings and camp meetings and special services anymore. I mean, uh, really, it's a thing of the days gone by. It was a thing for yesteryear. No, 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 you listen to me. I believe we're right in the middle of the will of God, assembling together in this matter. Uh, congregationally, the church should be meeting. We should be together. Uh, the body is at its best, and perhaps the glory of God is manifested most clearly when we are assembled together. The church is an assembly, is it not? Our salvation, brothers and sisters, is individual, yes, but it is not isolated. <laughs> We're put together. And so... There's certainly a congregational emphasis of assembling together, get, being gathered together, uh, but there's an individual emphasis. All of us are gathered in this great assembly. Let me say three things briefly. I think the writer has in mind here in this forsaking, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, certainly has in mind our presence at the assembly. Uh, when the church assembles, brothers and sisters, we ought to be assembled. When I was a young preacher, in my teenage years, I remember one particular instance, a Sunday night. I'd come home from church on Sunday morning, and some buddies of mine were going out. We had a little dusting of snowfall there where we live. If you know anything about there we live, if we get even the threat of snow, it shuts everything down for a week and a half. And so, very few churches were meeting. But I was determined to go to church. <laughs> My friend said to me, it's snowing. Why, why do you feel the need to go to church? Nobody's even going tonight. There won't be a crowd there. It's not like there'll be many people there. Uh, besides that, we're thinking about going down the road, going to get a bite to eat, hanging out a little bit. Won't you just miss church tonight? I don't know where it came from, but from somewhere in my soul, I said to those so-called friends of mine, my church family is meeting, and that means I'll be meeting with them. Brothers and sisters, I've not lost that conviction in these years. I, I'd like to say if the church is meeting, we ought to be meeting. We ought to be there. Individual faithfulness in these matters. Uh, Clarence McCartney in his little book, The Wisest Fool, has a chapter on Thomas. And he refers to Thomas as the man who was not there. You remember that Lord's Day after our Lord rose? All the disciples were assembled together. Ah, oh, but there was one missing on that Sunday. 
Oh, Thomas. Oh, brother, what he missed out on by not being in church that day. Somebody said, why would you go to church? Well, why wouldn't we go to church? You never know what's going to happen. The Lord may show up and help us and further us and mature us and develop us in some area. The Lord may come and strengthen us. I say we're referring to our presence at the assembly. We ought to be faithful in it. Secondly, we ought to be faithful in our participation in the assembly. It's not just that we come to warm a pew. No, no. But it's that we come to be active parts of the body when we assemble. Uh, I'll make a confession. There have been many times I've come to church and threw my spiritual vehicle in cruise control. But many times I've come to the house of God and unplugged when I came in the door. Many times I've come and not been faithful in my participation. But I'd like to say the church is only fully functioning when all of its members are fully functioning, one individually. Oh, Lord Jesus, how wonderful is it when God's people gather together and in unison of spirit and unity of mind, unity of mouth, as Paul would say in one place, we glorify God together, (laughs) not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Our presence at the assembly, our participation in the assembly, our passion for the assembly. So it is that we are to meet, we are to participate. We're not to do so without heart, we are to do so with all we are. Now, when I was a kid, I loved sports. I used to, believe it or not, run a little bit. Now my favorite verse in the Bible is Proverbs 28 and verse 1. The wicked fleeth when no man pursueth. But I used to play sports as a kid and was pretty serious about it. Playing baseball as a child, I was a catcher. I had a good view of the whole field while I would play. I wouldn't want to offend anybody this morning. I'm certainly not trying to. You may have been a little league outfielder. I don't know, and I wouldn't want to offend you. But when I was a kid playing little league rec ball, we always put... The kids that were least interested in the game in the outfield. And while the game would be being played, you'd look out in the outfield from the catcher's position and you could see the outfielders turned around with their back to the, to the plate, looking up in the sky, picking dandelions out of the outfield, waving at mom and dad. <laughs> their heart wasn't in it. Sad to say, many times we come to church and if we look out over the outfield of the congregation, it's as if we can almost see some smelling the roses, picking the dandelions and and keeping up with what else is going on. Their heart's not in it. I say we're we're called here, exhorted here to individual faithfulness in these matters. We are to meet together with intense intensity. Now, secondly, I'd emphasize the second truth. We're not only to meet with individual faithfulness, but we are to meet with inspiring furtherance. He says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. This word exhort, it has the idea of urging someone To pursue some course of conduct. According to W. Vine, 
This word is always used in a prospective sense. That is, it always has the future in mind. And so when we exhort one another, we look forward. And we urge one another on to go further in the things of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, aren't you grateful for the Tituses we heard about last night? Who come along and encourage us to press on in the things of God. Aren't you grateful, preachers, for the Sundays you feel like giving it up? But some little dear old saint will come by and love on you and help you to want to go further in the things of God. Aren't you grateful for the Monday morning phone calls when a brother will call you? You're down in the dumps. You're in the, ah, you're low, brother, you're low. Can't find praying ground. And some brother will call you and encourage you to go on. Makes you want to press on another week. I say this is the purpose of our assembly. To urge one another on to go further in the things of God. We're to urge one another on firstly to further attainments in the things of God. Uh, brothers and sisters, there's more ground to cover yet, isn't there? Uh, there's more territory to claim. There's more truth to learn. There's more Christ-likeness into which we are to be conformed. I thought about an Old Testament illustration of this fact. Joshua, before Joshua died, he said to the people, You've got, you have conquered much, but there's still much land to be possessed. I'd like to say in 2,000 years, we've not begun to possess the fullness of our resources given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much more for us to enjoy, so much more of God for us to experience, so much more of God for us to know. Oh, Lord, may we not grow cold and indifferent to the things of God. This is the purpose of meeting now. That we might encourage one another to press on, go farther. Go after the things of God and pursue Him in a greater way. Further attainments. Further attempts. Oh, many have rested on their laurels, haven't they? Many have laid down the sword. They've consider themselves to have done all they can do for God. <laughs> Somebody said, well, I taught that Sunday school class for 10 years, but I had to give it up. And I've graduated from Sunday school teacher to pew warmer. I had someone come to me several years ago when I first went to the church I pastored, and they said, preacher, we're giving up everything. I said, you are? I said, yeah, we're going to give up our class. We're going to give up uh, certain things that we're doing around the church. We're going to keep a few jobs, but we want to lay down a bunch of our responsibilities. I said, well, what in the world do you want to do that for? Well, we like to ride our motorcycle, preacher. And we figure we've served God all these years. We figure these last few years of our life, we, we'd be glad to spend some Sundays out on the bike riding through the mountains. <laughs> I want to say, brothers and sisters, we've not done half of what God has called us to do in our lifetime. There's so much more to do for God. There's so much more praying to do, so much more witnessing to do. We've still got lost family members and a community that is lost and going to hell. There's more truth to read. There's, there's more to know. Brothers and sisters, I say I'm meeting all to encourage one another to go on for God and do more for Him. As William Carey that said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Oh, Lord Jesus, may that resonate in some heart. You may feel like God's through with you. Listen to me. I like the way one preacher put it. Heard it one time said, You'll know when God's through with you, for He'll tell you face to face. Don't you like that? 
Don't you like that? Ah, he's not through with this yet. Further attainments, further attempts, further allegiance. These right, these recipients of this book, again, they were suffering persecution. They were being pulled in every direction. All that was around them was pulling them back to Judaism, pulling them back into the familiar shadows of the temple, pulling them back to the familiar sounds of the sacrifice. All that was against them was pulling them away from the superior Christ to the informal shadows of Judaism. Oh, here they're instructed to meet together and exhort one another lest they be tempted to the point they turn back on God. Can I say we've got so much pulling at us in these days. Oh, Lord, our brother's already magnified the direction our world is going. Indeed, this world is traveling down a broad way that leadeth unto destruction. And living in the world as we do, there is that magnetism, that pull to follow the crowd, to go with the current. <laughs> oh, brothers and sisters, this is why we need the church. <laughs> without the pull of one another and without the pull of the Holy Ghost through the body, Without the pull of the Lord Jesus through His saints, surely we'll be tempted to drift away from God and we'll be tempted to go back on Him. I say we need to meet. We need to meet and need to exhort one another in this matter of furtherance. So we have individual faithfulness. We're to meet with individual faithfulness. We are to meet with inspiring furtherance. Let me close with a final thought. I'll be through. We are to meet with increasing frequency. Not forsaking, he writes, the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Now again, seems to me, this is just my little observation now, I've ran into several preachers over the past several years who have said something of this nature. We're not meeting as much as we used to, preacher. And we learned that we don't have to meet as, as much as we used to, preacher. As a matter of fact, I think we're a little better off that we're not meeting as much as we used to, preacher. Now, I am fully persuaded that each man must shepherd his people as God leads him. And I would by no stretch try to impose some rigid legalistic bound on someone. But I would say there is a principle here that I think we ought to at least keep in mind. We are to be meeting not with decreasing frequency as we see the day approaching. But we are to be assembling together and exhorting one another with increasing frequency as we see the day approaching. I think the implication is we need a little bit more <laughs> in these days. Why should we meet with increasing frequency? Firstly, we should meet with increasing frequency because of what is coming. He says we are to meet and exhort so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
Now, where I live, we have mountains. I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But our mountains are a little different. We have long ridges that we call mountains. In the mountains of western North Carolina, where my family's from, you don't have long ridges, you have mountain peaks. And as you travel through the hills of East Tennessee and make your way into the mountains, you can begin to see the peaks as they stand out against the horizon of that North Carolina sky. As we look across the horizon of Scripture, there are several days that stand like mountain peaks against the horizon. We have certainly the days of creation, right? We have those seven days outlined in the book of Genesis. Moving farther, that day of Passover, that day of redemption from Egypt, stands out as a pinnacle day in the Scriptures, always being referred to all throughout even the New Testament. Coming into the New Testament, the day of our Lord's birth stands as a pinnacle. Certainly the day of His death and the day of His resurrection. These days stand like peaks in the sky. But all throughout the Bible there is a peak, a day if you will, that dots the landscape, a horizon of Scripture. It is referred to in many ways. But most commonly it is referred to as the day of the Lord. It's the day of Jehovah in some places. The day of His coming. The day of His wrath. Here in verse 25, we have its shortest designation. The writer simply calls it the day. Brothers and sisters, we are to be meeting and exhorting with increasing frequency because there is a day coming. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Someone said, I don't know. Preacher, I've heard about it all my life. That day has not come. It does not change the fact that day will come. We might disagree about the events surrounding that day. There may be some variance of opinion here this morning as to the order of all the eschatological events. But I'd like to say I believe we're all in agreement. There's still a day coming. (laughs) There is a day. It'll be a day of reckoning, Jesus said in Matthew 25 in that parable of of the Master and those parable of the talents that the day came when after a long time the master returned to reckon with his servants I say brothers and sisters there is a day coming when the books will be open when the records of our life and the records of our service will be revealed there is a day when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and I was in Bible school I remember somehow in one class we got off on the day of the Lord and someone mentioned the Bema seat Someone mentioned the judgment seat of Christ. And I remember one old fella, older gentleman in the class, he said, boys, spoke up, boys, if I could miss that judgment, I would. And when I heard it, I thought to myself, well, why are you so scared of the judgment seat of Christ? Oh, but the more I walk with the Lord, (laughs) and the more I fail Him, and the more my service comes up short, the more I'm mindful of the fact I'm one day going to give an account to God for every word and every thought and every sermon and every message. And, oh, Lord Jesus, may we meet together to help one another Uh, with increasing frequency. May we urge one another on to faithfulness, for there is a day coming 
when we will give an answer and account for our life, what is coming, who is coming, our Lord is coming. When He comes, He will not come like He came the first time. He will not come as a lamb. He will come as a lion. He will not come as a babe in a manger, but as a king. He will exact judgment on all of His enemies. He ruled the nations with a rod of iron. <laughs> our Lord is coming. Now, as a kid, we used to have a big bay window in the front of our house. And we could see when mom was coming home. She would tell us, boys, the house better be clean when I get home. Every day. Every day. My mother had a spotless house. She took all the credit for it and we did all the work for it. We would sit on the couch when we got home from school and watch that bay window. We knew when we saw the car come around the road, we had about five minutes to pick up whatever it was before Mama got home. <laughs> I'd like to say, brothers and sisters, if we look out the bay window of our hearts tonight, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. May we be ready. Then he refers to not only what's coming and who's coming, but when he's coming. He says that we are to meet and exhort one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. This word approaching brings to mind the fact that our Lord is surely coming. He is suddenly coming, as He says to the Thessalonians. And He is swiftly coming. The Lord's last promise He ever gave to His church was this. Surely, <laughs> surely, I come quickly. I'd like to close with just a little thought and I'll be through. Years ago, when I first started preaching, the church I was preaching at at that time, the person that had done the church sign for probably a hundred years stopped doing the church sign. So we decided we'd have to find someone else to put something on the church sign each week. So to help them, someone bought them a little book full of church sign sayings. And we looked through them, and some of them, no doubt, were spiritual. Some were encouraging, but some were just funny. Here was my favorite. And I've often thought about putting this on my church sign a time or two. Remember the banana. When it left the bunch, it got peeled. It'd be a good thing to hang when your church splits. Just hang that up on the side. Remember the banana. When it left the bunch, it got peeled. Let me say to you this morning, <laughs> may we not leave the bunch lest we get peeled. May we be faithful in these days to meet with individual faithfulness. May we be faithful in these days to meet with inspiring furtherance, helping each other on. In the things of God. And by His grace may we be faithful to meet with increasing frequency. <laughs> as the shadow of the Lord's coming approaches. And we see Him coming quickly. God bless your hearts. May the Lord help us and seal this word. Preacher, thanks.